So it's not really about Sabbath. There's a thing that's seven. If you were reading the beginning, if we go right back to the beginning of Genesis and you were reading it, you would see that the word um, seven is the same letters as satisfied, as full, as complete. Like when you've eaten a really big meal and it's you're full. That's seven. And at the beginning of Genesis is an extremely intricate, beautiful, extraordinary poem written in sevens. So you'd be reading that and you'd see these sevens coming through in different ways. And that carries on all the way through the Bible. When you see the word seven, it's not than just a random number. It's that sense of being complete, of full, satisfied. And I think community church has coined this phrase, actually. I think this is ours, so we can own this. It's as you should be us. It's a new word, as you should be us. And when you see seven in the Bible, you, you think of as it should be, everything as it should be. And the first sort of time that as it should be is described is on is in Genesis um Chapter 1, verse 31, where God says, He saw that all he had made, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day, because the sixth day ends in the morning. So then becomes the seventh day, but there's no night in that day, is there? There's evening and there's morning, and then there's the seventh day, as it should be in us, harmony with God, each other, and creation. And these pictures are from Esther's talk last week, which she uh, made herself. So yeah, they're, they're brilliant. Little illustrations of us walking with God. Everything is as it should be. So I've got my illustration. Does that work? Is it light? As it should be. The presence of God was with the people. The humanity walked with God in harmony. But what did they do? Well, Genesis chapter two says the Lord took man, put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. So there was humanity with God working in the garden. It talks about how shrub, uh, people were needed to work the garden to make shrubs, to make fruit grow. And I just wonder, as humanity walked with God in creation, working, uh, working to sort of, um, in, a, in a beautiful way, potentially, to, to have food, to have soil, how long did that last, do you think? How long was that period where it was evening, it was morning. They were in the seventh day. How long were they there for? Was it humanity there for an hour before they decided, oh no, I'm going to eat the fruit. I've been told not to. Do you think it was a day? I don't know how long you would last. Like if there's a cake there, how long do you last before you kind of give in and eat the cake? I like to think humanity did a while. Maybe, maybe we did a year. Who knows? We did a, a period of time walking with God in the garden, enjoying his company before we decided do you know what? I want to see what it looks like to have control myself. I just want to see what that looks like. And so humanity took control, lost Eden. And in that sense, they they had came shame, fear, conflict, all sorts of things, as Dave talks about in his talk. But the main point was we lost our harmony. We lost our harmony with each other. We began to fight and war. And we can see that today, can't we? This lack of harmony. We lost um, our harmony with God, and we lost our harmony with creation. Kind of began to, the soil became hard on us, and we mistreated the soil. So what happened then? There was this period, um, and, and God describes is, is described as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In that period of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God was meeting with them at, at quite random intervals. Abraham, God came... Um, 
one year in the form of um, the angel of the Lord, and then it was a year before he came back. There was no seventh-day pattern in that period. There was a God with covenant with Abraham. They walked in faith. They knew the presence of God. I forgot to switch the light off. You need to remind me, if the presence of God has left when they got kicked out of Eden, they were no longer walking as humanity in the presence of God. It had gone. Now, some people did have that relationship with God. They would meet with God. They had faith in God. There was no pattern, though, and they weren't in the presence of God as they had been. And then with Jacob, they go off to Egypt. And to start with, they are living in Egypt, and the land is good. It's a good land, Gershon. But I think they forgot who they were. They forgot who their God was. It says, Pharaoh said, who is this God of Israel? Who is this God? How did Pharaoh not know who their God was? Maybe they had forgotten who they were. They became slaves. And I think in Egypt at that time, there was a 10-day cycle. Nine days of working, one day off. Nine days of working, one day off. And then uh, they became slaves, and then Pharaoh put more restrictions on them. And I kind of think that's where we are now. We've got just, if you're working, you've got this sense of like, I want more out of you, I'm going to give you less, but I want more out of you, I want more out of you, I want more out of you. And they were slaves in Egypt. And God rescued them. He sent Moses and they went off into the desert. And here we find the seven-day pattern again of God saying, six days will you gather manna on the seventh day. You stay in, I'll give you enough. And it's that sense of dependency on God, not having to rely on their own gatherings, but being dependent on God. And following that, God gave them more strict rules about that seventh day and what it should look like. Um... And he says to them, uh, says to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. It will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Oops. So every seventh day was their Sabbath. So they would stop. They would uh, remember and I don't think it was probably that much fun. If you were, if you had servants, then on the Sabbath, they wouldn't cook for you because they had to have a day off. You couldn't light your fire or they couldn't light your fire. You would be cold. Your food would be cold. And, but you would remember. You would remember who was in charge. You would remember who you belonged to. But the servants got a day off. And then the six days off you'd go again into the land. And God said... What about, he gave seven festivals every seven weeks. They would do something, Esther talked about that. Um, Seven different festivals to remind the people who they were. And then every seven years, it would be a whole year off. Now, Dave and I began to think about that. Do you reckon we could do it? Have a year off. Every six years, you'd have to plan quite carefully. And in those days, they didn't have freezers or tins. But we could do it, I reckon. You could have six years where you kind of put stuff away and the seventh year... You, you had off. I don't know. Do you think we could do it? But the point of the seventh year off was so that the land got a rest. Every year, every year we were working the land, destroying the land, using it for ourselves. And the seventh year, the land got a rest. You weren't allowed to toilet. You weren't allowed to farm it. You could give what it gave you. You could take what it gave you. But you, uh, the land got a rest. And then at every seventh cycle of seven, there was a super Sabbath. And the super Sabbath was amazing. 
everything you'd accumulated went back to whoever it belonged to originally. So you can imagine, like, if you've had a, re- like, a good 30 years, say you're born and, like, you, you grow up and you've been, you're doing really well, you're successful, you gather land, you gather servants, you're doing really, really well. 50th year, bing, everyone goes back. <laughs> you've lost it all. But if you've had a bad 20 years, 30 years, and you've got debt and you're, maybe you've had to sell your kids into slavery or you're in slavery, every 50th year, you're free, you're released, you're forgiven. It's astonishing. So there's been two years for the land to rest. Everything is restored. You're back and you're free. This is an astonishing way of living that God asked of his people. And Esther reminded us that these three kind of things that they're stopping help the people realize. They stopped to reorientate themselves. God was in charge. They were not in charge. They stopped at the festivals to remember and to celebrate Remember what God had done for them, bringing them out of Egypt, remembering all of that. And they stopped to release, to forgive, to send, give people their, their time back, their land back, their money back, to set slaves free. Things were put right again. How do we remember? How do we remember things? How do we remember? Yeah, there's a little things that like you write down, but how do you remember who you are? How do you remember what your mission is? How do, how do you remember why you get out of the bed in the morning? Is it just habit? Um, I remember, um, I do remember, uh, kind of must be like 15 years ago now, um, I was visiting my sister in Switzerland and I um, went over a bump and knocked myself out and I woke up and I couldn't remember anything. And like I had a completely blank screen. It was really interesting. I, I didn't initially feel frightened. I just felt, I, I just don't know anything. I don't know anything, who I am, anything. But my only thing that came to mind was act normal. Just act normal. Just go in, join in, do exactly what everybody else is doing and wait and see if it comes back. And I wonder if that is like a, a reset, a kind of an underlying thing in our humanity is that we fit in with other people. We just fit in. So when the, um, when the J- Jacob's children, Joseph, they went to Egypt, they just fitted in. They just fitted in with the people around the, the Egyptians. They forgot who they were. And for us, how easy it is just to fit in, to kind of absorb the, the lifestyles and the things of going on around us. We just fit in. We just act normal. Act normal, everybody. But uh, I kind of think we've forgotten, potentially, who we are. And certainly the children of Israel forgot who they were. God had given them this promise. I will put my dwelling place among you. I won't hate you. I'll walk among you. I will be your God. But if you don't do that, your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy the Sabbath years, but you will not be in my presence. It is really easy to forget who you were, who you are. And for the children of Israel, they found themselves in exile. They found themselves out of the promised land, out of the presence of God. And they uh, decided to remember who they were by having, by putting the Sabbath back into place. So every seventh day, they would try and keep the Sabbath. Then they were in exile. And that became really important to them because they thought, you know what, if we're faithful to God and we keep this Sabbath, God might remember us. God might rescue us. God might kind of put us back to be his people. So they not only had the Sabbath rules that God had put in place, they thought, how can we be really sure that everyone knows what to do? Let's put a few extra things in. Let's say a kind of like, 
well, there's a thing about not lighting a fire. Well, what about putting a light on? What about, um, it says don't carry sticks. What about, like we say, don't carry anything? Like, let's be really clear what the Sabbath is because we want God to know that we're serious. We want God to act. And so every step, they put all these rules around the Sabbath to try and get God to say, we're, we're serious about you, God. Every seventh day, they had the Sabbath. And then Jesus comes on the scene. What would you expect him to do? Should he be faithful? Should he should I do all these extra additional things to try and like show God how, how serious they were? Let's see what uh, Luke says. Luke, re- uh, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's massive. Now that's like somebody kind of who's maybe been coming to the community church for a couple of weeks, getting onto the stage, saying something and announcing, by the way, everything you've been looking forward to, I am Christmas and sitting down. And they're a bit like, really? Uh, Yeah, you're quite a good talker, but you know, uh, Jesus, you're the Jubilee. You embody that freedom. You embody that everything going back to as it should be. Are you serious? Is Jesus the Jubilee? And I, that's what Jesus is saying. I am the Jubilee, that scripture, that thing you've been longing for. Your heart knows it's not fair. It's not fair that the, some people are poor and simply rich. It's not fair that people are in slavery. You know that. This is fulfilled in me. Well, that was a lot. That was a lot for the people. You've got, you've got to be fair. That was, that was tricky. So then what happened with Sabbath? The Sabbath day would come, the light would go on, Jesus was here, so let's put the light on. (laughs) So I've got in John's gospel, Jesus goes to the lake and he says, uh, there's a man sitting by the lake who's, uh, and Jesus says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? He's been ill a long time. And uh, the man says, yes. And Jesus says, Pick up your mat and walk. Now, picking up your mat is strictly a bad thing. And actually, it's in the Old Testament, you weren't supposed to pick up sticks. I can see why picking your mat really wasn't a great idea on a Sabbath. You know, it's a conflict. And uh, the man tells, tells on Jesus, basically. Um, and it says in Luke John, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work this very day and I am working too. So they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, as was his custom. There's lots of instances of Jesus and the conflict over the Sabbath. There's another one where they're walking through the fields. The disciples are picking corn. And Jesus says to them, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
And so with the, all the conflict and all the kind of um, things that were going on, Jesus claiming to be God, he was put to death. And uh, we read, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. That light was extinguished. And there was that Saturday, that Sabbath, when Jesus had been crucified and his followers must have sat. They couldn't go to the tomb. They couldn't buy spices. It was Sabbath. They were over here, but they had seen the true Sabbath and that had gone. And they were left with a lamp trying to remember who they were. But as we know, it says after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb very early on the first day of the week. Do you know what? There was a new day eight, a new day eight. No longer were they in a cycle of Sabbath and, and, and kind of destruction, Sabbath destruction. The new day eight had dawned. The presence of Jesus, he had risen Jesus, was with them all the time. The day that never ended was here again. So what did that look like for the new believers? What were they supposed to then do? What, like, were they supposed to carry on with their Sabbath every week? They had the risen Jesus. How were they supposed to negotiate this? And it wasn't always straightforward because to start with, the believers were Jewish. And so they would have had their Sabbath on a Saturday. And then on a Sunday, they would have met together. They would have carried on those customs that held them as a community and that were good and that were a kind but what about then the new believers who didn't have any of those customs and would meet, want to meet together to celebrate the risen Jesus? How did that work? Well, we've got only a few um, places that tell us what happened. But in Romans, it says, um, Paul says, writing to a church, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person considers one day more sacred than the others. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever regards every day the same does so to the Lord. And it's the same with the meat. And then again in Galatians. Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to those who in nature are not gods. But now that you know God or rather are known by God, how do you turn back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that I've wasted my efforts on you. And then what? finally in, in Colossians, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And I, uh, I, I have to say that uh, looking through kind of history and reading about it, what happened to the people of God through the last uh, 2,000 years that made us go from, from sort of thinking that we, there were certain rules and regulations that we had to abide by to um, somehow be in the presence of God? I don't know. I've talked to people who have become uh, become Christians in their adult life and they don't potentially have any sort of rules in place that they need to keep to, but others that were growing up um, 
uh, as children, we were told you could do this, you couldn't do that, you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that. And while we kind of think that doesn't quite sound like Jesus, some of us have, have had guilt over the fact that you mustn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And it's all moved to a Sunday and it's all got very muddled up. So uh, where are we? Where are we? How do we negotiate finding uh, our place as people of God, remembering who we are without uh, having to take on rules that don't that get in the way of our relationship with God? And you might want to say to me, you know, I don't care. That's all history, ancient history. Here I've come to church on a Sunday morning. I've spent 20 minutes to you, Marion, going on about ancient history what has it got to do with us today? Very good point. Well, I don't know if you, but I'm a bit like this. I have been a bit like this. We in the 20th century, we're in this cycle of constant, do this, 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 quick, that, this, quick, there, here, there, go, run, work. <laughs> it's constant, isn't it? And I was really encouraged by last, listening to Esther's talk last week. Esther's talk about how do we find the place of God in a bit in a life with small children where you don't get sleep where you don't get a day off where you don't get time where you don't get that kind of space how do we find that what has God got to say about it because Jesus did say come to me all of you who are weary and burdened I will give you rest take my yoke upon me and learn from me for I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. And I would say today, it's easy for us to forget who we are. We become uh, stuck in a cycle, in a cycle of more, 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 quick, 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 um, always trying to work out what's next. And I would say, it's a bit of a shocking picture, but it's no good being a zombie six days a week, eating, consuming, destroying, and then one day a week going, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm having a day of rest. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, I'm all good. I'm resting. Yeah, God. Yep, yeah, see ya. Yeah, good job. Nice. Uh, and then going back to being a zombie. It doesn't work like that. It's no good to anyone. It's no good to the land. It's no good to you. It's fake. And it can sort of perpetuate zombie land because if you just stay in zombie land consuming all the time, you'll probably get wear out and have a breakdown and then the land will get a rest. But if you have a day off, you can carry on being a zombie for six days a week. It's not a good idea. You might find it helpful to try and break the cycle of being a zombie. So if you are in zombie land, be encouraged. Take a day off. Have a sit down. Have a reflect and think, what can I do differently? Um, but I know for me that one of the things I've been thinking about is trying to stop thinking about what's next. So you might be here sitting thinking, she's going on ages. What's next? Try to just be where you are. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel your bottom on the chair. You're just here doesn't matter what's next. The Lord might come back before we finish. If any luck. <laughs> um, what did they do? What did the first believers do? They met together. They broke bread to remember. Um, and they became this practice of something called the Lord's Day. And I, I congratulate everyone of being here on the Lord's Day, meeting together. They had love feasts to remember who they were. And you know, we've got a love feast today. Isn't that good? We've got a love feast. We sit together, we meet together. For many of us, the only thing we've got in common is Jesus. That's the only thing we've got in common. We wouldn't meet each other otherwise. We might not talk to each other. You know, we've got Jesus in common and that's why we meet. 
And the, uh, the uh, kind of other thing, I was, I won't, I'm really only beginning this reflection for myself of how does this work, walking with Jesus work. But Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only sees, does what he sees the father doing. Whatever, whatever the father does, the son does also. And I'm kind to do a self-check of, of why am I doing what I'm doing? What do I say yes to? What do I say no to? Um, and uh, kind of a, a couple of years ago, I was doing a research project on top of my job. And I said to somebody in church, a friend of mine, and I said, I don't know, I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm not, I'm not paid to do it. And it's really like loads of extra work. And there is some kudos, but I don't really care about the kudos. I don't really care that it'll be. And he went, people say they don't care, but, but you look at what they do and that tells you what they care about. Oh, that was harsh. I was like, oh yeah, you're quite right. I probably do care about the kudos. I probably do care. And that's why I'm doing it. And so I started to say, when something came before me, rather than going, yes, because I want to please somebody or because I want to um, be successful or because I want to uh, be like everybody else, I started to say, Lord, what would you say yes to? What are you doing? How do I say yes? How do I say no? How do I live according to your rhythms? Interestingly, this week, on Wednesday, I had a time management course booked. And uh, it was a clash because I've actually taken the day as annual leave to take some cousins out. And I'm like, oh, Dave, I want to go to the time management. I know I'll be better if I go to the time management. And like, a little like, reflection of time management is saying no to the time management course. <laughs> I might not need it if I could say no to things. So Are you tired, people of God? I think we're weary, aren't we? We've been talking as leaders about how weary we are. Are we worn out, whether we're burned out religion or just the day-to-dayness of life? Jesus says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or unfitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And I think this, uh, uh, as, we, uh, as I draw my talk to the close, I think this is a chance for everyone just to take a moment with God. Take that moment. You have this moment. Ask God what you need to change. Ask God, whose yoke are you living under? Whose, um, whose story are you living by? Who's making you do what you're doing that's killing yourself? Can you learn to do, to do your life listening to the voice of God? Do you even want to? And maybe you're not a believer here this morning. You're like, Marion, I've no idea what you're on about. Um, and I would just encourage you that there is a, a way of living with God who loves you, who wants to see you flourish as you, as a person who he loves, who he knows. And I'd love to pray with you if, that, if, if you're here this morning and you haven't met God or you've lost track of him, you've forgotten who you are and you'd love to come back to him this morning. That would be great. Um, so let's take a moment. Let's ask God to speak to us once again. Let's be open to his Holy Spirit.